0: Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week 2021 is
1: above all the year when we will eventually do those everyday things that now seem lost in the past, bathed in a rosy glow of nostalgia.
2: Employment is up. Investment is growing. Public services are improving. The public finances are stabilising.
1: Families struggling with the cost of living crisis. Businesses hit by a supply chain crisis. Those who rely on our schools and our hospitals and our police. They won't recognise the world that the Chancellor is describing.
0: Today in our final episode of the year, we'll be looking at some of the biggest money news to hit your pockets this winter. Along with our brilliant money regulars, Jenny Ross and Gareth Shaw, we'll be discussing the latest on inflation, the base rate hike, property prices, the energy crisis and the soaring cost of living. Looking back over 2021 to unpick how we got here and ahead to what's coming in 2022. We are which. As the year is coming to a close, inflation is surging in the UK. In November, it reached a 10-year high of 5.1%. So can we start here, Jenny? How is this figure worked out and why has it risen by so much this year? There are actually several
3: different measures for inflation, which is basically just the increase in prices over time. Um, The main one you'll see quoted and the one that's made headlines in the last week is the Consumer Price Index, which has hit a whopping 5.1%, as you say, Lucia. Um, And what that is based on is basically it's an imaginary basket of about 700 different items that is supposed to represent the average UK consumer. So you have everything in there from almond milk to games consoles to exercise leggings. Um, And yeah, basically, um, the Office for National Statistics will be tracking the price of all of those 700 odd items and seeing how that changes over time. And we should probably clarify here obviously you know the, the, the headlines are quite alarming that inflation has has hit this rate um but inflation in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing if it is at a relatively steady rate then what that suggests is that the economy is in fine health and that um people are out there spending their money and you know that's pushing up demand which is pushing up prices but At 5.1% at the moment, we are now way above the um, 2% target that the Bank of England thinks is the optimum level of inflation. Mm -hmm. And it actually is warning that it's going to go even higher over the next few months and hit 6% um, in April, which is when the energy price cap is next reviewed. The reason for this pretty stark um, rise is... Well, there's there's lots of things going on uh, under the surface. Um, the cost of transport is is a real biggie. Um, clothing and footwear were also um, factors in in the latest hike. But yeah, everyone is seeing this at the the forecourts at the moment. Um, Petrol prices in November were actually the highest recorded. They hit 145.8 pence per litre. A year ago, um, they were down at 112.6 pence. And then you've obviously got the ongoing impact of rapidly increasing household energy bills after the price
0: cap went up in October by 12%. And this jump in inflation has been happening at a time when interest rates and the base rate have been at record lows. But a week ago today, that's last Thursday, the 16th, the base rate increased for the first time in over three years. It now stands at 0.25% up from 0.1%. Gareth, firstly, why has the Bank of England made this change?
1: Let's talk about the theory first. Inflation and interest rates tend to have um an inverse relationship. So when the Bank of England base rate is low, inflation tends to go up. We've seen the Bank of England base rate at a record low for a very long time. When uh, rates are high, inflation tends to fall. And, And the reason for this, this is the theory, if the cost of borrowing rises because interest rates are higher, consumers, businesses, they've got less money to spend or invest. Therefore, the demand for those goods falls and the prices should fall with it. So the Bank of England uses interest rates and setting the interest rates as a kind of lever to control inflation. I guess, how has it got to this point? Jenny has talked about that. But why has the Bank of England only just acted now? Well, We've also got an economic recovery to think of, too. And having ultra low interest rates after a time of severe economic distress, like we've been through in the pandemic, has been important to kickstart our recovery. I mean, you you hear often, often from politicians that the UK is the fastest growing economy in Europe. And those super low interest rates would have helped with that. But now it's got to a point where. Inflation is kind of running wild and the Bank of England needs to deploy that tool of increasing interest rates in order to get it back under control.
0: So if we talk savings rates now, before we go into borrowing and mortgages, how will they be affected? Because looking back over the year, rates on savings accounts have been pitiful, haven't they? And a rise in the base rate should, in theory, be good news for savers. But in reality, will we see much of a difference? If previous base rate rises are anything to go by, I wouldn't get your hopes up. Um, Mm.
3: We pay close attention to what happens um, when a base rate is changed and what banks do in response to that. And basically, it's always the same story. They are very quick to up their variable mortgage rates, but they don't seem to have quite the same sense of urgency um, to increase savings rates. Any savers out there, um, don't, don't, don't hold your breath and expect this, this to be a game changer. Um, after all, you know we've gotta be realistic. This is a 0.15 percentage point increase in the base rate. So even if your provider does boost your rate by that entire amount, it's not going to do anything to uh, to turbocharge your returns. If you know if you've got um, ten grand tucked away, you're going to get an extra fifteen quid a year. It's certainly not going to allow you to keep pace with inflation at the rate it's at now. No savings account has come anywhere near that um, for a very long time, and that is not going to change, um, even if even if providers whack on uh, the base rate increase. All of that is why it is a good idea to really think. About whether all of your cash savings need to be kept in cash. Obviously, make sure you've got enough to cover emergencies and any needs in the short term. But if you've got more than you think you'll need for the next five years or so, it's time to consider investing with with, with the remaining amount that you can that you can spare. And yes, of course, we always need to point out that that means you'll be taking on a degree of risk with your money, but with that risk also comes a possibility of much greater reward um, and a much better chance of achieving returns that are going to keep up with
0: inflation over the long term. So it won't mean a great deal for savings accounts, but can the same be said about borrowing? Amid so much doom and gloom this year, it's been a slightly different story for mortgage deals where we've seen historic lows from 0.79%. But this kind of golden era of sub 1% rates has come to an end. Gareth, are we going to see rates rise further now? The base rate has increased. And, and what's your advice? Should anyone on a fixed deal that's coming to an end or a standard variable hurry to lock in a rate before they go up?
1: Uh, I'll take the first part of your question first, Lucia. Yeah, the, the, the mortgage rate war appears to be over. Mm. So this this kind of rate war began in May where we when we saw our first mortgage under 1%. Then by October a 2-year fixed rate deal would fallen to as low as 0.79%. That is for people who've got the biggest deposits or own the most of their property. And then there were like hundreds of de- 100 deals worth uh, charging less than 1% uh, at that point. So it was just absolutely mad. We we've seen those all but disappear over the last couple of months because it, it's not like the Bank of England has increased interest rates and The banks and building societies who offer mortgages to people go, Oh, we better increase our interest rates. They've been preparing for this. They've been steadily increasing their rates in anticipation of a base rate rise as they've seen inflation get higher and higher month in month out. So, yeah, those super cheap deals have um, disappeared. Look, the base rate does dictate the cost of borrowing. Uh, because, uh, you know, a higher rate usually means it's more expensive for banks to get hold of those funds. Therefore, it's more expensive for consumers to borrow. This rate increase is unlikely to have a a huge effect on um, the cost of fixed rate mortgages, because it's only 0.15 percentage points, you know, increase from 0.1% to 0.25%. But I think what people really need to watch out for here is the pattern. Is it on a monthly basis we're going to start seeing the base rate increase now? Mm. If banks are anticipating more increases, they will increase their rates in advance. So in answer to your question, should you try and fix now? Probably yes. Uh, If you're on a variable rate deal that's come to an end, you should look to remortgage. And don't be scared of remortgaging onto a fixed rate, even if rates have increased, because you know, they're still quite impressive.
0: Now, the lower your loan to value, the better deal you're likely to get. So let's bring house prices into the mix. It's been a whirlwind of a year for the property market. The stamp duty holiday propelled sales and lasted much longer than originally planned up until the end of September in England and Wales. And according to the latest data from the Office of National Statistics, which has a slight lag, so it's always a couple of months behind, average house prices in the UK went up by 10.2% over the year to October, But this is actually down compared with the year to September, which was up by 12.3%. Let's hear more on this from our property expert, Stephen Maunder.
2: Well, it's been a really complicated year for the property market with the, the stamp duty holiday, seeing prices just soar off the charts, double digit growth in a lot of areas Uh, We even, I think, in the last month, uh, in June, just before the stamp duty holiday ended, we saw about 200,000 people moving home in that one month. And that is probably more than double what we would see in a normal month. So, as we get towards the end of the year, the market is still kind of adjusting to the end of that stamp duty break. So, the most recent data shows there was just under 100,000 people moved home in November which is kind of back to almost pre-pandemic levels. So we're kind of back where we started. But we don't know quite what's going to happen next because the impact of uh, house sales rising so hugely in the summer is that a lot of people who might have moved home later in the year or next year have just moved their uh, house moves forward. So what we're seeing now is people still want to move home, but there's not much stock coming onto the market. So there is appetite from buyers, but not necessarily uh, enough properties becoming available to really sate that appetite. And that's probably going to be the main thing that keeps house prices high going into 2022. We are WIT.
0: Another area that we've been following very closely on the podcast this year is the energy crisis. Our latest episode on this, published on the 2nd of December, is well worth a listen if you haven't heard it already. It really has been a wild year for the energy market, with fuel prices rocketing, tens of providers going bust, and the energy price cap on the rise. In that previous episode, we covered expert predictions of how much the price cap is likely to rise in April 2022, and then we were talking 30 or even 40%. But as Anna Moss from Cornwall Insight explains, volatility in the market is likely to continue, and the price cap may well shoot up by even more.
4: We're expecting to see wholesale prices um, staying really fairly high throughout that winter period. Um, you do sometimes see a decrease as we go into spring as demand reduces then. Um, but But really, we think there'll be increasing volatility in prices Uh, longer term as we continue to decarbonize our energy sources. And that's because you can't always rely on the wind blowing or the sun shining. So there can be lots of increases and decreases in the price of electricity um, kind of throughout the day and throughout the year. And that's something that the energy regulators looking into a little bit more is really to understand how best we can protect consumer interests when there's gonna be this increased energy price volatility in the future. We're currently forecasting at the moment that the default price cap in April is going to increase um, to over £800 uh, pounds a year. So £1,865 for a typical dual fuel. Uh, customer and potential for kind of further increases to that still, as we're not quite at the end of the cap period. And um, so, so, that would be an increase of it's just under 50% on the current cap price that we have at the moment. So, a really substantial rise driven mostly by those higher wholesale prices.
0: Jenny, with the energy price cap already soaring and things looking unlikely to change, what's the current advice for customers? The reality is there is. Very little you can do. Um, finding a cheaper deal just isn't
3: really an option right now. In normal times, the advice would be to uh, shop around for a cheap fixed deal. These used to be comfortably below the price cap, but now the price cap is is basically the baseline. It's the it's the cheapest you can get. So there's there's really no point in switching. You know, if you're on a fixed deal and that comes to an end, you'll be bumped onto your supplier's default tariff, and that will be. To the price cap so you really just need to 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 sit tight there are other tweaks you can make to try and shave um, something off your bill if possible opt for paperless billing and manage your account online if you're not already doing so because some firms actually charge you for paper bills also of course make sure your bill is accurate and that you're not paying more than you need to send regular meter readings to your supplier If you have a smart meter, all the better, because that should do that automatically. If you notice any um, changes in your direct debit that you don't think look quite right, then you should challenge your supplier on that. Your supplier should give you 10 working days notice when they are about to increase. So make sure you scrutinize it and check that you are paying the, the right amount. Otherwise, um, check if you're eligible for the warm home discount. That's uh, worth £140 saving on your um, electricity bill. And other than that, it's back to the old advice about reducing your energy usage. Obviously, we all want to be um, as as, as sustainable as possible anyway. So this has dual benefits. So really simple things can make a difference. Switching the lights off, only boiling as much water as you need in the kettle, unplugging your mobile phone charger when, when you're back. Battery is fully charged. All of those things can add up, and not only help save the planet, but help trim a tiny little bit off your off your bills. But um, sadly, there's there's no silver bullet right now.
0: The idea that the energy price cap could rise by 50% in just a few months is absolutely bonkers. Partner two with rising petrol costs and inflation, and this soaring cost of living is going to be really felt by households across the UK. Citizens Advice says that one in 10 families are facing financial crisis this winter, and at which it's something we've identified as a real problem. Gareth, for anyone really struggling, what kind of crisis support is available, and on Food banks. For any listeners who might be able to donate or volunteer this winter, how can they get involved?
1: Yeah, well, on on food banks, the largest food bank organisation in the UK is the Trussell Trust. It has twelve hundred across the country, and you can go to its website to find a local food bank. There'll also be information about volunteering there as well. There are local food banks as well. You might need to be referred to a food bank to, to use it. I would actually suggest going to talk to your local council or local authority. In some situations, you can apply for your local council's welfare assistance program. You know, it, each one's different. So I, I can't explain exactly, exactly how they work, but um, you might be able to get a small cash loan or a grant. You might be able to get food vouchers. You might be even, even able to get free furniture if you've had to move home or something like that. So go go and speak to your local authority. It's different in the um, other nations. So in Scotland, there's a Scottish Welfare Fund. In in Wales, you might be able to apply for the Discretionary Assistance Fund. And in Northern Ireland, you might be able to supply for finance support as well. You really should be looking at those kinds of things. Then there's, there's the benefit system as well. You know, if you're not claiming benefits... Perhaps you should be. Universal credit is there to support people. We knew, we know that many millions more people applied for and successfully claimed universal credit during the um, pandemic because they were out of work. And uh, you should definitely be looking to do that. I mean, we've seen quite a few changes to universal credit over the past 12 months. A temporary inc- increase in the weekly amount you're paid was given and then taken away. But then if you're working, but you're not quite earning enough, and you can claim universal credit, the amount that you can earn before you have to start losing some of your universal credit has increased, which means basically means people get to keep more of their benefits, which is really good news. The other things I would say is go and talk to your bank and your financial relationships to see if there's any way of making some changes to your payments that would allow you to get some breathing space. That could be, for example, if you've got a mortgage, you could be talking to your mortgage provider and saying, Can I only pay the interest on my mortgage for a few months and not the capital? Some mortgage lenders will allow you to do that. You could ask for a payment holiday as well. Your lender's not obliged to give you a payment holiday like they were in the past. And this could affect your credit history. But again, if you're in financial distress, and this means, you know, the ability to eat or not, then um, it's something that you might want to consider doing as well.
0: So it really is more important than ever to save where we can. And looking forward to 2022, there is a win for consumers on the horizon. With changes coming to tackle the so-called loyalty penalty for home and car insurance, it should put an end to providers luring in new customers with discounted deals at the expense of loyal customers. And experts say it could save consumers hundreds of millions of pounds. Jenny, what will be different next time you go to renew? Renew. And does this levelling out mean customers who usually shop around for the cheapest deals will end up paying more?
3: This is a really big shake-up of the insurance market. Um, and those those savings figures that you quoted there, Lucia, they're, they're not an exaggeration. Like The, the um, Financial Conduct Authority, um, which is in introducing the rules, expects um, a total saving over the next 10 years of £4.2 billion. Pounds. In essence, what these rules mean is that from the 1st of January, insurers will be banned from quoting customers a higher price for renewing their home or car insurance than they would pay if they were a new customer. And um, what the FCA is trying to do with these with these new rules is stamp out a practice that um, has plagued the industry, industry for years and years, and that which has highlighted many, many mm-hmm. times, um, something known as price walking. That means increasing prices for renewing customers year on year. So you might be, you know, yeah, as you say, hooked in on a nice, cheap, New customers only deal. And then that um, gets notched up year after year. So if you don't move, you're going to be paying way more than somebody who's um, who's just joined the same provider. So what what that means in terms of um, who's going to benefit and who could potentially lose out. The people who stand to benefit the most are the people who have. I guess people have been less active in shopping around for a good deal. The people who spent a long time with the same insurer and haven't taken much action to, to bargain down their prices. On the flip side, if you are someone who is very proactive and always shops around for a, um for a new deal when your um policy is up for renewal you might find that those um those prices are no longer quite as attractive as they as they once were so the discounts you you made by switching are probably not going to be quite as great that doesn't mean that there that, that there's no point in switching anymore we need to remember that um even though loyalty you know the length of time that you've been with a with an insurer is no longer can no longer be a factor in in their pricing insurers will still be able to charge you differently depending on the level of risk that you, that they think you represent that is how insurance works at its core so you know your your car or your home insurer might choose to hike your premium if it thinks your neighborhood has become higher risk, for example. But not all insurers take the same view of risk. So if you were to shop around, you might find that another provider can insure you more cheaply. Um, prices can also vary depending on how you bought your policy. So whether that was via a broker or a comparison site or online. This is not gonna create sort of a homogenous pricing system in insurance. But what it means is that um, you won't be punished for being loyal. Uh, Yeah, it is finally, finally, the the, the end of the loyalty penalty. So it remains to be seen exactly how it's all going to play out and whether insurers will be looking to to tweak things differently to to recoup costs. Um,
0: But in theory, it's a really positive development. And Jenny and Gareth, continuing to look to 2022, are there any other changes to come or predictions that are worth a quick mention this side of the new year?
1: Well, Lucia, if you consider Jenny and I to be the glass of water in front of you, I'm going to be the half empty version and Jenny's going to be the half full version. So I'm going to give you the bad news. We've just spent the last half an hour or so talking about the cost of living crisis and all of the squeezes on our finances and some changes being introduced next year are not necessarily going to be helping things. What we're going to see is a whole raft of tax increases, um, some of them explicit, some of them by stealth. We've talked about this before, but national insurance for workers is going to be increasing in April 2022 by 1.25 percentage points. That means you're going to be paying more national insurance. The reason for that is very noble. It's to fund the NHS, to clear the backlog, to pay for social care as well. But of course, a higher tax bill is going to mean less money in your pocket. And also twinned with this is a a whole raft of tax-free allowances have been frozen and will remain frozen in 2022. That includes the personal tax-free allowance, which is currently £12,570, and the higher rate threshold as well, which means that if you start getting paid more money, uh, if you start earning more money, you'll start paying more tax. Because usually the personal allowance rises each year, which means you get to keep a bit more of your earnings. Um, But that won't be the case. So you're going to be hit by a double whammy of tax, really. And the other thing bubbling away, now this is obviously a, a longer term thing, but we saw a consultation launched on uh the increases to the state pension age in the future and it looks like the government wants to get us working for longer and when i say us i probably mean you me jenny and producer rob because we're right in that zone where we thought we might be getting our state pension age at the age of 68 but the cohort above us the generation above us would be getting it at the age of 67. It looks like that cohort may well have to work a bit longer now to get their state pension. What that means for us, who knows? Work until you drop, I guess. Um, But we could see the state pension age increasing yet again. You know, I think there needs to be a serious societal debate about how long can people actually work for? Yes, we're all living longer, but can we really be expected to be working until we're 70 that is a a a debate that will be played out over the next 12 months
3: oh gosh that is too much for my brain to handle this close to this close to Christmas Gareth I think I'm gonna I am gonna pick out a few glimmers of hope on um on the personal finance horizon to to cheer us all up after after that quite um yeah it was quite quite a bleak um discussion around you know how our how our budgets are going to be are going to be squeezed um, in the coming year. We've just talked about the loyalty penalty finally coming to an end. That's, that's a great way to usher in the new year um, on a positive note. Other than that, um, we're, we're really hoping here at which that, um, that positive steps are going to be taken to, to address concerns around access to cash. We've been reporting for years now about um, widespread uh, bank branch and ATM closures that are really having an impact on people who rely more on, on cash and in-person banking services, literally in the the, the last week or two, um, major banks have have taken a step forward and um, agreed to come up with some quite creative solutions to help people continue to access cash despite those closures. So this is things like um, shared banking hubs. Um, The post office is also going to be looking at improving the services that it offers um, to people managing, managing their money. And then finally, what one of I think the the most positive news stories for um for me over over the past year is that that it's looking like there could be much stronger protections for victims of bank transfer scams coming down the line. This is an issue that Witch has campaigned on for years as well um you'll have heard us heard us talking about it on the podcast many times before um the The problem is in a nutshell, unlike unauthorized fraud um where money is taken from your account without your knowledge, perhaps a scammer has hacked into it. Um, There is no legal protection from your bank if you fall victim to what's known as authorised push payment fraud, where you're essentially tricked into into sending money to a scammer. A couple of years ago, a voluntary code was introduced, um, and that set out to make sure that blameless victims are reimbursed. But in reality, we found that that is really a bit of a lottery. We've seen way too many cases where banks are wrongly denying refunds to victims. But the big shift in recent weeks is um, that a consultation has launched by the payment systems regulator, which is proposing to make reimbursement mandatory. So banks won't be able to wriggle out of, of, of these um, refunds where a scam victim has done nothing wrong. So that consultation closes um, in the middle of January and we will be keeping a very close eye on, on what happens next. Um, But it's been a very long time coming and we're we're hoping that um, scam scam victims will finally get the protection that, that they deserve
0: thanks so much to gareth and jenny and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the which money podcast and joining us in 2021 as always if you could leave us a review we'd really appreciate it and do hit follow to make sure you catch us again in the new year when we'll be back on the 6th of january and in the meantime for more money news and advice find us on social media at which money and online at which.co.uk forward slash money This episode of the Witch Money podcast was recorded by Rob Lilly, produced and edited by Rob, with additional support from Ian Aikman.